This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. The Huskies Warming House podcast is also brought to you by the Soda Pod, home of MNCAA college hockey news and more. Stay wild and up to date with new episodes throughout every week. Find them on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and other podcast platforms. And welcome into the Huskies Warming House podcast, middle of July, or just about for episode 169. Nick Max and Noah Grant here in the den. And, uh, Nick, another week back at it here, and we're about a week and a half removed from the draft, and uh, but we're not quite done with it yet. Not that we ever really, I suppose, started, but we're about to. Uh, NCAA hockey, and more specifically NCHC hockey, uh, kind of some interesting t- statistics about players that have come out of all of these conferences within the NHL draft and uh, where they've been selected and how many of them have been selected. It's been a, a massive change since Phil Housley rocked the world coming straight out of high school. It's been a, a college infusion slowly but surely, uh, I feel like, in the uh, NHL entry draft. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And then, of course, we start with our next women's preview, number seven on the docket this week. It is the St. Thomas Tommies that we'll be talking about who finished uh, seventh last year in the WCHA as well with with 12 points on the season. So without further ado, we start, as always, Huskies Illustrated, Centerized View, and the Soda Pod all have a hand as we move into the main portion of the show. Centerized View news and notes. Centerized View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. Welcome into the main portion of the show. Nick Maxson, Noah Grant here. And Nick, uh, we start uh, with the rise of college hockey, so to speak, in the NHL draft. That uh, certainly didn't just suddenly happen this year. It's been years in the making. A lot of these U.S. national development program players uh, also headed to collegiate destinations in the fall. A certain name like Oliver Moore that I, apparently some uh, Wild fans would have liked to snag. But good thing. He only went to Chicago, right? Um, <laughs> I. Yeah, of course, the Wilds first round draft pick uh, already a Wisconsin product as it is. Um, We'll just we'll just leave it at that because some people seem to get very triggered by the fact that uh, a player can have one down year and suddenly just be bad at hockey in their eyes, apparently, even though he has NHL size and compete level. Anyway, um, Nick, uh, (laughs) the NCHC and statistics, uh, from what I hear, you were able to find a particular graphic that maybe illustrated this quite well. What do you have for us? Yeah, so obviously with the entry draft, a lot's been, shall we say, made of, you know, wait a second, a lot more college hockey uh, players are getting drafted. And it's not just they're getting drafted, you know, in this middle rounds, but you're getting a lot also in the upper echelons, right? So how about this? Um We'll start with just players in general, right? Nine picks for NCAA players in the first round, uh, as high as three and number four, uh, and also number eight. So three in the top 10. You had 11, 15, 19, 21, 23, and 30. I know I just kind of spewed out a bunch there. Uh, but at the end of it, uh, for the Big Ten, it's, I believe, 19 players. For the NCHC, it's 18 players um, that uh, were uh, essentially have an NHL draft pick um, on their docket. So you talk about where the higher end talent is going, right? Um, 
it's still largely dominated by these two conferences. It drops off quite a bit after these uh, after the NCHC and Big Ten, but still the 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 trend is is that college hockey is gaining traction. It's becoming a place where. Uh, shall we say the next levels NHL as well as American hockey leagues are, are looking for a uh, higher end talent. And it, and more importantly, it's a place that players want to go to continue their development. Right. Yeah. Wasn't that long ago um, that it really still was, you know, let's go up to Canada. Let's try to crack the CHL uh, to try to see if we can uh, effectively, what do you want to say? Just continue you know, try to get my chance uh, the best chance I should say to get into a, a pro hockey contract. Uh, here's something that you probably didn't know. Uh, prior to 2008, uh, so let me say this: 2008-2016, there were 35 NCAA uh, uh, players that were drafted. The last eight years, 2016 or yeah, 2016-2023. Guess how many have been drafted? I'm going to guess more than the number you just provided. 65. Wow. So more than essentially more than doubled, right? So uh, this coming from College Hockey Inc. So uh, at the end of it, it, it continues to rise, right? And it's not just, you know, a few things here and there. It's more of, holy cow, uh, college hockey has risen and it, it largely do the development process below it. But also, you still have to continue that process in college hockey and largely from, I should say, USA Hockey, the coaching and everything else gotten better. Um we're starting to see college hockey become a destination for especially American-born hockey players to go into, try to continue that rise and then crack the uh, the National Hockey League. Yeah, and it's interesting, like you talked about, <clears throat> you know, certain programs, you know, BC, 1996, as well as Michigan, uh, Minnesota, 1974 to 2000 was their stretch, 27, 28 years respectively for a lot of these programs pulling a lot of these big, you know, names out of the college hockey world into the NHL level. Um, you know, and, and Nick, I, I kind of wonder too, uh, seeing guys as we look at, you know, for example, Adam Fantilli, just kind of on a side mm-hmm. tangent here, a guy that goes in the top three, he signed essentially as soon as he can put pen to paper the next day, uh, for that program in Columbus there. Do we also kind of feel like, uh, the talking point used to be that the CHL, was the Canadian Hockey League, for those who don't know, was a lot more rugged, a lot more heavy back in the day, a lot more fisticuffs, so to speak, a lot more better at preparing younger kids to be NHL ready for the physicality that they would encounter at the professional level. Does it almost feel like college hockey has now gotten to that point where when you watch Michigan, Minnesota, when you watch the Frozen Four, when you watch Adam Fantilli, Logan Cooley, you're looking at guys that not only would be high-end product in the CHL, of course, some of them a bit older, naturally based on the collegiate game, but guys that you look at that it's no longer, here's a great college player, it's going to take him a couple of years and then he'll get his shot. It's, here's Michigan, Minnesota. These might be NHL rosters, almost potentially, throughout their top six in their lineups. Does it almost feel like we're getting to that point where college hockey is now, at least in the in the top-end the high-end guys, your top-line guys, whatever, obviously your draft picks, it feels like now you're not waiting for that wait. It's You're watching NHL-ready guys on the ice at the Division One level. You are, and that's the one difference, right, is it's still, I think, top-heavy for a college yep. hockey. Um, that's sort of, and, and I'm not sure there is a fix for, shall we say, the, maybe the, the not top-end guys, and I, I'm not sure how to phrase this, maybe the the best way but the one disadvantage that college hockey players have is their season's relatively short by games played compared to those north of the border in the chl right, right. um so the other thing is in the in the chl you're getting a little bit of a stipend right uh you're playing closer to an 82 game season um you know so whereas down here in college i mean you've got classes you have other things you have a little bit more of a I want to call it a balance, but you know it, it's not 100% hockey all the time. Whereas up there, it's it still is, right? So um, it, a lot of this coming to college hockey is a big nod to the development prior to college. Now the still 
it's still a place where these people want to go and play. It's still where you're getting great coaches like, of course, our own head uh, head coach, Brett Larson, but Bob Motzko at the Gophers. Um, again, other coaches around uh, the Big Ten. Um, of course, uh, Minnesota State might have something to say about Wisconsin's head coach and, you know, possible change <laughs> of scenery. But, I mean, all these are good things, right? Because at the end of the player ultimately wants to go a place where they can you know, showcase what they have and eventually crack uh, an NHL contract, right? And uh, we're seeing more uh, of these types of talent uh, choose college hockey over other forms of development. Uh, I think another great example would be, how about Europe too? Remember Austin Matthews, instead of playing in college, went over and played in Zurich, Switzerland, uh, and before he was drafted number one overall. So um, there's still some progress that can be made, but it's nice to see over the past eight years, essentially has more than double. You see the impact uh, that college hockey players are having in the NHL draft. Again, 10 um, taken, and I think in the second round, again, nine in the first round, um, over 70 players in this draft taken as NCAA commits. Uh, I believe 30 college hockey teams with at least one NHL draft pick um, and seven countries were um, essentially represented in this year's draft. So yeah. pretty cool. Um, and it just continues to get better. Yeah, 27 of the 32 franchises had teams, uh, 67 total NCAA players Um selected i i think really where we're starting to see that point and again we talked about the chl versus the ncaa nick i think american hockey has just gotten a lot better 42 of those 67 are americans so i think you're looking at a bunch of these guys obviously you know minnesotans the state of hockey in massachusetts um <laughs> you know and then of course uh, the hockey hotbed that is michigan let's not you know uh, yep say that it's not and then you start to see the expansion your austin matthews s players guys in the southwest now you're seeing vegas california now you're starting to see things spill over into texas things spill over into florida now with their recent success and things like that you're seeing a lot of american kids finally get into the game of hockey become really good at it and decide i don't want to go anywhere but stateside i'm going to stay here i want to play the collegiate game and a lot of times what they're electing is to play juniors for a couple of seasons ushl and you know in the null whatever it may be and then they're making that jump to college hockey again like i said grabbing those extra couple of years then they're you know whatever they might be 23 24 uh you know they're getting drafted long before this. Let's not, you know, sugarcoat it as well too. And a lot of these guys that are drafted are division one commits in some capacity. So that's why we're talking about it. But guys that by the time they go that route and by the time they finish things out, um, they're either NHL ready by development or in the case of your Logan Cooley's, your Adam Fantilli's guys like that, hopefully Charlie Strammel after next season and the Mankato, I mean, Wisconsin team that you had mentioned uh, and the development process that let's be real, that Mike Hastings brings to the table here, seeing a lot of those guys develop and be those high end talents here. But I think the more impressive piece too, it's easy to talk about Minnesota. It's easy to talk about most years, Wisconsin, Michigan, St. Cloud, North Dakota, Duluth, whatever it is. We're seeing a rise of a lot of programs, uh, you know, like, for example, Connecticut, UConn, Matthew Wood, for example, programs that historically haven't pulled a ton of like NCAA talent that has gone at that NHL draft level or ended up playing for NHL teams. We're starting to see that parity across college hockey work to its advantage and starting to see guys from these lesser lesser successful programs, for lack of a better term, start to pull more high end prospects and Again, as we talked about uh, last week with Miami and the NCHC, more parity is never a bad thing when it comes to the college hockey game, Nick. Um, anything you wanted to add on that? It just, it just feels like college hockey is getting to a point where now you're starting to see a pretty healthy mix and a pretty healthy split of guys coming from Europe, guys coming from the CHL, and then guys now coming from the NCAA realm or getting ready to head into the collegiate world. You are seeing that, and uh, you kind of wonder what's next, too, right? Because it's a huge momentum. I know we talked, uh, I know that the previous eight versus the last eight years, right? That split that starts at 2016, a huge jump in the number of players that are coming to the NCAA and actually into the uh, essentially into the NHL drafting. But you again, I think that's how do you keep the momentum up, right? I think that's the big thing for uh, for college hockey is. Mind you, there's more programs that are coming on board, right? Augustana starts this year. Uh, Tennessee State has announced a club team, uh, which was yeah, unreal. Yeah, news down there. And again, this is uh, being also fronted by the Nashville Predators. And supposedly part of this plan is, you know, they want to at some point, probably within a decade, ex you know, explore whether if uh, going 
essentially, you know, division one or division three would make sense, but you're seeing the game of hockey overall continue to expand and especially in the non-traditional markets, which I know for those here in the traditional hockey markets, draws for whatever reason um, a, a negative response, which I, I simply just do not understand. Yeah, if, you, if, if you want this game to continue to grow, you got to grow it in those areas that don't normally have it, right? Um, the Southwest has become a hotbed. Um, you talk about the effects love or hate them, the Vegas Golden Knights have had on the game of hockey. Uh, before the Golden Knights came in 2017, there was a really good article that was written by Jesse Granger of The Athletic. It was like two ice sheets, and there's maybe 70... Uh, youth that were uh, registered as far as, you know, in some sort of hockey program. Now they're building upwards. uh, There's now eight and there's plans to build another two, if not four more. So 12 sheets. Um, There is over 1,000 youth that have registered uh, to be in developmental leagues uh, across the greater Las Vegas Valley. You've got men's hockey leagues that are playing at like midnight plus because they simply have time on ice, right? So this is what you want. This is what you, you know, what you're hoping for, uh, for the expansion of college hockey. So uh, that's what's next is the continued expansion, the Southeast, especially that Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, Kentucky area is going to be probably, you know, the, the last, what do you call horizon for college hockey to really get himself into. And of course the West coast, but at the end of it, it's a great trend and uh, you just hope it continues. Yeah, certainly would agree. And continuing on with other things, we move into our WCHA women's preview. St. Thomas on the docket here this week, finishing seventh in the WCHA last season. We picked them to finish in the same spot this upcoming year, doubling up points with 12 compared to six from last week's participant, the Bemidji State Beavers. And uh, Nick, this program, this will be changing soon enough, but St. Thomas Ice Arena is their current home. Seating capacity of 1,000-plus standing room has been there since 2003, but they have a shiny new building that uh, is currently in the works as we speak that will probably change things in the coming years. So, But the Tommies, uh, their program uh, starting off last season, of course, uh, um, had, our, had the exhibition games um, early on in the season, St. Cloud, of course, part of that schedule as well, too, uh, to kind of start off the season. But Nick, this program, first of all, before we dive into anything, how awesome was it to see them assimilate to the WCHA and uh, be a part of uh, a league that they both proximity geography wise and also hopefully skill wise with their coaching staff and their incoming players as they build their program? Same on the men's side uh, to see them being the WCHA. It's an exciting time. It is exciting. And uh, again, they are still very much in their infancy, right? Um, and, and it's only going to, you know, this team is on the cusp of exploding per se onto the, not just the WCHA scene, but on the national stage. Um, yep. Again, uh, their new arena expected to break ground, I believe, either end of this year or early 2024. The Lee and Penny Anderson Coliseum, I believe, is the name. It will house both hockey and basketball. Um, 125. To $150 million price tag right on campus, which I think is pretty cool. Um, it's supposed to get right around that four to 5,000 mark. Um, and not to mention that uh, St. Thomas um, is really no shy of uh, funds in hand, we'll put it that way. Again, large $75 million of that already was privately donated by, uh, well, the Andersons, right? They get their name. Um, so basically, they just paid for the naming rights, which is kind of fun. Um, but uh, they're they're in a prime position where once that arena gets built and essentially, yeah, I would even say a year prior, this franchise is going to really start attracting uh, some of those really good high end talent, right? Because mind you, what ten minutes away, you got the Golden Gophers, and we were talked about Minnesota State, we talk about Duluth, we talk about Bemidji State. Um, not North Dakota, unfortunately, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I laugh, but it's also sad. Yeah, it, it really is, actually. But, uh, you know, there are they're going to, you know, they're going to have a, a tough couple of years like we've seen on the men's side. But uh, it would not shock me. And in fact, uh, if you look at the roster coming up for this year, we'll get to that. Of course, uh, they're already starting to make waves in the recruiting and the transfer portal. That's going to really help them start to continue that growth and development and essentially ascend the ranks of the WCHA, which um, is still pretty top heavy but very quickly could be sort of a mixed bag here noah grant yeah certainly could and an astounding coaching staff that we're going to get to i yes. mean a great pedigree within this uh um 
coaching staff, as we mentioned. Uh, victories last year, Franklin Pierce with a split for them, sweeping Lindenwood in mid-November. Uh, had a shootout victory against Duluth and then swept both Bemidji State and RIT in a string of five-game victories. Did not earn another victory besides a single-game victory, 3 nothing at the start of February against Bemidji, a 3 to nothing contest. Were ousted in two games against Minnesota. In fact, their last four games of the season were against the Gophers. They lost 2-1 to in overtime and 4-2 to at the end of regulation or regulation regular season uh, in February, but then it was seven, nothing in six, two in the WCHA quarterfinals, kind of an unceremonious end for them. But again, as we've talked about on the men's side, it's taken them a while, but each year they've gained traction. They've gained, they've, earn steps. They've climbed that ladder just a little bit here. I expect this women's program to do the same. Like we mentioned, uh, this coaching staff is at the start of this. Joel Johnson, the head coach, his third season, of course, spent 20 plus years with USA women's hockey. Recently, the head coach of the last Olympic women's ice hockey team, 11 seasons at the university of Minnesota as an associate coach as well. Um, yeah, he's pretty good at what he does. Yeah. I would, I would say, Nick, I, uh, you would think, that that's a great starting point. And most women's programs, at least to start, would take that as, you know, cream of the crop. That's that's our our guy. That's who's going to be kind of running the ship. How about the people that has surrounded him too? Bethany Brosson, third season as well, a former gopher back in the early 2010s, uh, assistant coach as well at Minnesota, coached at Breck as well. And then uh, how about this name for those in the professional hockey world, Marty Sertich as well. Yep. Yeah. His third season, of course, with the program at this level, seventh overall, he's been there before they made the jump to the WCHA at the division one level last retired in 2016, 10 year pro career, of course, played in Europe in the AHL Hobie Baker award winner at CC as a junior and played in the AHL, of course, with the Iowa stars, not too far away. Yeah. That's not too bad for a team that's trying to be up and coming and trying to make some noise in the next couple of seasons in the WCHA, wouldn't you say? Well, yeah, and that's the thing is, you know, when you have, you know, shall we say the resources that St. Thomas has, and again, when you're when you're selling an expansion team, right? You're selling on okay, it's probably going to be a long term, but you, we're going to have the resources, we're going to get the building. And then we're going to start to get the recruits up, but we got to build, right? And St. Thomas has already done that, right? Um, the one thing that we talked about in last week's episode and how coaching can be sort of a question mark with Miami, right? There's no question marks surrounding the coaching staff here with St. Thomas and what they could bring. And uh, once they start getting this program more cemented uh, and essentially get a little bit more of their own recruits in, uh, you know, essentially put a name out for themselves, Again, there the sky's the limit for this franchise. And uh, again, the the three people that you mentioned, Sertich, uh, along with Joel Johnson, uh, and of course with the uh, uh, Bethany Bronson, you just um, this it really is nothing that's going to hold this franchise back. And I, I really feel that you know entering your three now, um, this is where you want to see a little bit more uh, of that success on ice. Now, granted. Uh, we're going to talk stats in a minute, but of uh, those wins and losses you mentioned, when they scored three goals or more, they won every contest, but one of them. And the only one that they didn't win was against the Huskies. So, and it was a six to three loss. So um, offense has been their biggest peril. Now that's sort of the same thing that the men's side has been seen. Again, it's a youthful organization. So that's to be expected, but now for the jump, right? And we'll get to their roster and that's what's next for them. They're going to be an organization to watch over the next couple of years because they're not going to be where they are for very long. Yeah, and they're going to be very youthful, like you mentioned. A lot of fifth-year players actually making their exit as well this season. So I'm glad you brought that <clears throat> that point up because that's exactly where I was going. When they score first in general, uh, their overall record was 8-27-1 in the season, 7-3 and three when scoring first. So seven of those eight victories that they had overall in the season, they scored first in that hockey game. And uh, last time I checked, the statistic is just under 70% of teams that score first in hockey games win hockey games. Contrast that, Nick, when their opponent got on the board first, one twenty-four and one. So it makes a big difference being in the driver's seat for this program. Um, yep. When they outshot their opponent, they were six and four as well, too. So again, uh, putting themselves in the driver's seat, obviously very imperative. They were actually decent at home, actually uh, pretty even splits home and away, for example. But uh, um, when they led after the first or second period, Nick, 12 and 0. So 
uh, between those two respectively. Uh, when they were tied, it was a little bit less, though. So, again, having that lead after the first 20 minutes really paid off for this program. They were outscored 130-53 uh, to 53 on the season um, and only scored 14 goals in the first period. So you can tell that they're not a team, as you mentioned, that's going to overwhelm overwhelm you with offense but if they can bring a good defensive game and be opportunistic on the offensive side to start a hockey game and limit chances defensively they gave themselves a really good chance obviously outshot in addition to being outscored there's no secret about that but again when you're a, a program in it's in inception so to speak and moving into your first critical years i'm trying to build a foundation for this program nick we've talked about that it's all about the process yes but where do you, uh, and maybe this is kind of jumping the gun a little bit, but what do you take from this previous season where you had essentially flashes of when you're in the driver's seat, you know how to control a game. You know how to finish a hockey game here. What do you take from that as you build towards next season? Uh, what did you find successful from this group? And uh, is there anything you'd like to, little, to tweak just a little bit? Well, you know, so the stats tell you a little bit, but what it doesn't tell you is what's between the ears. And that's really what's next for this squad is, you know, can they believe that they can win, right? We, we saw this with the men's side too, right? And that is, okay, if we score first, again, uh, the record speaks for itself. If they have a lead, they're 12-0 after first and second period. It's when they got down, right? And if you look at a lot of their results, a lot of close games too. Uh, one goal losses, two goal losses. So it wasn't like, you know, and there were some blowouts here and there, but that's, you know, that's any team experiences that, but it shows a, a, a an opportunity for uh, sort of whether it's compete or, you know, just a, a you know, their confidence and mentality. Right. Um, and we talked about this with the St. Cloud on the men's side, right. Which is, you know, when they were going through their slump this past season, which is okay. Um, when we allow the first goal for whatever reason, we're in a funk. Like we just, we let that get through our heads. Uh, we don't get to our game and all of a sudden we're running around. We're not where we're supposed to be. And instead of getting and we're controlling the pace, now we're chasing, right? Um, that's what I get from the St. Thomas squad is that that next step for them is to, when things don't go your way, where you're not getting the bounces, when the, when you can't, you know, make that crisp pass and you can't get to that puck first, to stick with it, right? You just you have to believe it. Just trust the systems that you're doing. Trust your teammates on the ice, and just know that okay, yeah, we gave up the first one, big freaking deal, right? Let's go out there and get it right back, right? Yeah. Um, these are growing pains that you expect in a young franchise slash organization. Again, they're making a jump from D three all the way to D one, right? That's not a small jump, and it takes a little bit of time too to build that roster, right? Um, we'll talk about specifics of that here shortly, but. Um, eventually, you know, what you see is, you know, when this team is rolling, they can compete in the WCHA when things are going so well, it almost seems like, you know, they get in their own heads a little bit. Um, but again, that's a hallmark of a program that's building and transitioning. So that's what they need to focus on. Um, it's good that, you know, you're, you're noticing this and that, you know, there's, there's good trends in the right direction but how do you continue to get that consistency which is that next step to be able to put more of a consistent effort on the ice regardless of how things are going on the ice you got to be able to to essentially have that short-term memory wipe it clean uh whether things are going for you or against you yeah i would definitely agree and the turnover is the name of the game again for this program as well too uh one player leaving uh soon to be fifth year player jenna hartong had a point in 22 contest former division three player uh before she made the jump she's on her way out into the portal three other seniors uh emma larson lucci bianchi and alexa dobchuk a defenseman forward and goaltender respectively uh, that I have not seen on their new updated roster. They have their roster out. They don't have their transfer players in yet. So I kind of tried to factor those in and trying to kind of put two and two together. My guess is maybe they haven't taken their photos yet or haven't confirmed something or other. So I think they're waiting on that. Other grad players that are for sure on the way out, three forwards and a defenseman, Lottie Audnoga, uh, Gabby Billing, Anna Solheim, and Anna Promersberger, the Fargo, North Dakota native, all uh, grad players that, of course, would not be returning just because of the fact that they were grad players last season. As far as players entering, though, Nick, uh, fifth-year uh, netminders, Olivia King and Calla Frank, both from Mankato, and junior defenseman Rachel Golnitz, who... 
uh, Rachel played in 32 contests last season for Colgate, had a point. Uh, former U18 Team USA player, as was uh, Cala Frank. Goaltending, obviously, going to be very important when they lose a couple of players uh, in that process in terms of graduation and that sort of thing here, Nick. Um, a little bit uh, quiet on the transfer portal front, but they brought in more than essentially they removed. As far as I can tell, um, based on players that they would be bringing in via transfer portal. They would have seven sophomores, seven, probably eight juniors, two seniors, and one to three fifth-year players. That would be 17 to 20 players already on that roster, not including freshmen. And that freshman class, I would imagine, maybe might comprise four, maybe five players, potentially somewhere around there, probably. Sounds um, like yeah. Sounds like uh, the plan is starting to uh, come to fruition. We talk about that three to five year window when programs start up and you get a new coaching staff where you really start to see, you know, things work itself out. COVID rules certainly complicate things as well as the transfer portal things as well. They do return fifth year player Ali Mon, um, Monrain or Monrian. I always struggle with that name, but they do return her who uh, was kind of a middle of the pack scorer last season, had seven points in 36 contests on the forward side. Uh, fifth year player is the only one listed in the current active roster that I believe is returning. But regardless, Nick, they have players that are here. They have almost a full roster as it is, then incoming freshmen to boot. What do you like about this program, understanding that the need was certainly in net to bring players with experience, and then also understanding that they have enough veteran leadership, they're going to let some freshmen come in and assimilate, but it doesn't feel like they have to carry this massive role right away because they have a roster of 17 to 20 players that have an opportunity to uh, carry the mantle to start. Well, it's and again, it's important to have that veteran presence, especially in a young up and coming organization. Right, Noah, because there's going to be bumps. There's going to be some stretches. Right. We just go back to last season. Right. Um, After uh, the turn of the new year, essentially, they won three regular season games. That was it. Uh, Two at our with RIT and then one at Bemidji State. Uh, beyond that, losing streaks of six and then essentially seven, respectively, to end the year, that's tough. And what makes it even more tough is you're in a lot of these games, right? Yeah, there's some, you know, scores that were a little bit more one-sided here, but, you know, that's where your veterans come into play, which is, you know what? Yep, this is, you know, we're not getting the bounces. Uh, we, we had a tough maybe... Uh, two minutes out of the whole 60, but that two minutes may have cost us. Forget about it. We're going to learn from this and we'll get back up. We'll put on the skates, put on the gear, and we're going to show up better next game, right? That's really important. And especially when you bring in not one, but two goaltenders, both from Mankato that are both seniors. Um, it, it's no secret, at least in the hockey circles, no one. I know we when we've talked to, sadly, say it was Jackson Caster, David Rennick, um, and uh, I'm just thinking of Joey Lamaru too. And we talked about, you know, how all of them support each other, how all of them wanted the best for each other, right? Uh, to bring in two goaltenders that are eventually going to essentially have the open window to compete for, you know, with each other for that starting position. Uh, but they're proven goaltenders too, right? Which is you're trying to find some stability. You're trying to find uh, some ways they're going to be able to handle the ups and downs and to be able to translate that down to the younger underclassmen, right? This is a really, really sneaky good pickup for St. Thomas. And again, if you can get a save or two, again, this team is more defensively structured now than it is on offense. But if again, if you can prevent that one goal in the power play. If you can, you know, steal a game here and there, all of a sudden now you can go out and start getting those offensive pieces and now you're you're building a more well-rounded hockey team, right? So it's hugely critical that not only these are upperclassmen, but they're proven, um, but more so what's the impact they're going to have on the younger players because, um, again, there's going to be some probably rough stretches even next year, but it's about how you handle those rough stretches and how you can still get up, go to the rink, and know that, hey, this is still fun, right? And, uh, you know, we're going to continue to learn and get better each and every game. Yeah, absolutely. Also, Maya Almich on the back end as well, too. Another senior that I, for whatever reason, didn't have listed, or maybe it wasn't listed, uh, was second on the team in points. Uh, third overall on the back end, 10 points from the back end will be certainly missed. 
Um, I guess the returning score would be Matty Clough or Matty Clough, the, the sophomore defenseman with 12 points on the season. A lot of defensemen that are leading the charge here. Haley Maxwell, seven points as a freshman on the back end as well, too. So, yeah. you know, you, you see a couple of these players that really have a chance to really have those primo grade A roles, those top pairing roles, top line minutes, first power play minutes in terms of the offensive production, too. I always love seeing teams that are able to activate their defensive core, especially on the W. WCHA women's side, I feel like it is such a pivotal role. All the teams that you see that have been characteristically high-end products, Ohio State, Minnesota, Wisconsin, now throw Duluth in that mix, that's what they do. They're not afraid to activate their defensemen. They're not afraid to add a fourth player into the mix and keep that offensive suppression rolling. And I think that that's where St. Thomas is really going to roll. And that part of that comes from the coaching staff, the previous experience. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the the ability to uh, to have a coaching staff that's been at the Olympic level, that's been at the professional level on the men's side, uh, that's been at this level on the women's side playing hockey at the Division One level for a good team as well or a good program like Minnesota that has that story pedigree as well too. And the net mining side as well too, uh, they have a freshman and a sophomore, Maggie Melecha and Saskia Moore, who uh, combined between them have 27 games played, uh, a 9.15 and a 9.13 respectively goals against hovering around three or just over. So a couple of young goaltenders that have ability to, I wonder what the story is with four goaltenders in the mix. I I, I have a feeling that the, not always, but it's very rare for a team, sometimes even to carry three, let alone four goaltenders. I have a feeling one of these players maybe is maybe has a different plan. I could be wrong. There could be four goaltenders on the docket, and they're rolling with four, and they understand that they're going to get one year out of their incoming transfer net miners before you know the next group takes over, essentially. Um, does that strike you as intriguing or not really? A little bit, but you know, at the end of it, it's it's not unheard of per yeah. se, because um, again, you know, with the COVID rules and the complications of essentially, you know, making that jump, right? You're, you're trying to find what your identity is, and you, you talk about defensemen who are leading the charge. Uh, one of the biggest, shall we say, uh, differences between Division Three and Division One hockey transition hockey right it's the play from the back end right it's you know can your defenseman add in that level of offensive creativity not just in the offensive zone but also on the back end right trying to get that puck out of your own zone that smarts that hockey iq level and they already have a base of that right so um for goaltenders you kind of wonder if geez you know you yeah yeah well the sophomore saskia moore played in 21 games which is uh almost Less, little less than double what Alexa Dobshuk, the senior, played with 13, and then uh, Malekcha played six. So, yeah, um, and good numbers for more too. So, I got to imagine that at least one of these goaltenders would be in the fold, if not both of them. But I would it, have it, to think curious, I guess. Yeah, and you kind of wonder too where you know, even though the numbers are quote unquote good right St. Thomas knows where it's at right now maybe they're saying you know you're good but maybe we want more right maybe we want that third uh, body in there if not a fourth to compete for that uh, or is there you know more of a plan where uh, maybe one of them played for the defenseman at one point and then they switched to goal there. I don't know. Yeah. Um, it, it's something to watch just because I can't imagine they would carry four exactly, for the regular yeah. season but We've seen stranger things in the game of hockey, um, but no question that's an area of emphasis for St. Thomas heading into this season because I know it's going to be, yeah. uh, shall we say, a position uh, much uh, that's going to be, uh, shall we say, in a lot of action as we go into WCHA, um, and especially that part of the schedule, which is always tough. Yeah, and you don't know, I guess, the only thing I was thinking about if someone was redshirted or they had some sort of off-season injury that you anticipated yep. early, like, hey, this is not going on. I don't know. I'm not really sure. Um, we're not really privy to that information, but what what I can tell you um, is that uh, I, I guess I don't actually have the upcoming schedule, so I can actually tell you it. Um, I don't see the release for the upcoming women's hockey schedule on that side. Let me just make sure that it I can't have been released because I believe it was last week that it was released. Let me double check. Yeah, and I was looking at their that their links and uh, 
Um, I don't see it on their website, so maybe it just hasn't been updated here. But I, I think w when you kind of mention this, Nick, though, before we get to the schedule for the time being, this program, though, with the players that are returning and that offense coming from the back end and, you know, the youthful infusion that is happening here, does it not feel like in certain senses that this team, yes, we have them to pick to finish seventh, but with a carousel of potentially four goaltenders, one of them is going to find a groove. There's, I, I would be shocked if they don't. This team could finish much higher. It feels it like. It could. Uh, the one caveat to that is, is, you know, they don't necessarily have the punch offensively. Right. Um, you know, just to kind of break it down a little bit. I know because you're you're the stats nerd. Right. Um, how about this? Our power play. Six point three percent. Yeah, not great. Eight total power play goals the entire season. That hurts. Right. Because regardless of your offensive prowess at you know even strength, which is a whole separate conversation. Uh, sometimes your power play slash your penalty kill, right? The specialty teams can either get you, they can get back momentum, or they can you know put some distance between you and your opponent, right? Um, also, their PK only seventy six point nine percent, which isn't completely terrible, but it's definitely definitely room for improvement. But Again, the goal scored uh, 53 all last year. They gave up 130, so um, minus 83 um, in that respective category. So, um, again, it doesn't shock me when we go back to that goaltending situation that they're going to try to find someone that can be that X factor that maybe can steal you one. Uh, but to me, um, their climb up the WCHA could be limited just based on if these trends continue, obviously we don't know every season's new, uh, but they're definitely going to have to put the, uh, the puck in the net more if they're going to uh, continue to ascend because the teams above them in the WCHE minus, you know, what we expect to be the top four, um, they have improved quite mightily in the offensive side of the puck. And so uh, that's going to be their next, shall we say, frontier is getting more offensive production from their forwards, and that's going to help them get to that level. Yeah, certainly would agree. I think I found the women's schedule on the WCHA website. So, um, and it doesn't look like a men's schedule just based on the opponents that I see. So I'm going to assume that this is the women's schedule here. So Friday, October 13th um, and Saturday as well, they'll be at home, both games uh, facing the Minnesota Golden Gophers. And then, um, and then a matchup uh, the following weekend at home against Ohio State before taking on Wisconsin at home as well. So their first uh, six games, as far as I can see, against those three big opponents are all at home. So they start in their own building to start the season. Then uh, they go on the road to face Duluth to start November. Home and home against St. Cloud in the middle of November, uh, the week before um, Thanksgiving week i should say uh they have the holiday off before a home and home against mankato and then they finish the first half of the season at home against uh bemidji state so all but one two three four four of their first initial whatever it is like 12 or 14 games nick are at home which is i i think a a great process for them to feel comfortable in their own building and hopefully build some traction there. And then in the second half, they travel to Wisconsin before a home and home against St. Cloud. Then they travel to Bemidji, Minnesota host Duluth at home in the middle of February, and then travel to Ohio state before finishing the regular season, a home and home. Uh, their last game is in their own building against Mankato. So actually a pretty favorable schedule as far as a lot of home games for St. Thomas, which you got to really like there. Um, the WCHA is a gauntlet, though, as we know. Anything you pick apart from this schedule? No. Uh, at the end of it, again, as we saw, you know, with their results last year, um, they they were streaky, right? So at the end of it, in the WCHA, you've got to somehow replicate that. You got to replicate that consistency. Um, it's no question that with that schedule, um, there's always four teams that especially now that kind of make you cringe a little bit, uh, Ohio State, Minnesota, Duluth, and uh, Wisconsin, right? So anytime you go up against these guys, uh, should I say gals? That's probably the better, more appropriate term. Um, you really do have to be ready for it, right? Uh, but it can be done. Look at what St. Cloud did last year, right? Uh, a little bit of a different twist with Brian Idolsky, and they got marquee wins, but you have to believe, you have to commit to the process, you have to commit to the systems, and for St. Thomas, it's very similar and identical what they're going to have to do, where they're going to have to be locked down the defensive side of the puck uh, to be able to compete with these guys and 
and maybe get a bounce, right? Um, so the scheduling, it is what it is. But to me, it's, you know, how do you approach it as a player? How do you look at it? Um, you, you can't look at the review mirror ever. Um, and if you do, you got to go, okay, well, this is what we did well. But more importantly, this is where, you know, maybe the two minutes or the three minutes we were trapped, how can we not do that to give, you know, so we weren't tired and we got capitalized on. So um, at the end of it, the WCHA is always a tough schedule, just like our counterparts in the men's side of the NCHC. So uh, for St. Thomas, again, like any other team, good start. Um, you know, you want to get your feet underneath you. You want to feel confident. Um, and then again, just, you know, ride the waves. Again, don't get the highs too high. Don't get the lows too low and take it one game at a time. Yeah, certainly uh, it led right into my final questions here. Uh, what do they need to do to be successful? I think you outlined that well. Feel free to expand on that. I think for me, I it all starts with, with their defensive activation. How well can their defensive core manage the game that's in front of them? When you have a good defensive core, I always feel like, I mean, good goaltending, obviously, and working from the back end up is imperative. Um, you need high-end scores on the forward side. There's no doubt about that. But I almost felt like if you had a solid four or five, maybe even six players in your defensive core that you felt that you could rely on night in and night out that could also – not only give you some offensive punch, but manage the game in a 200 foot aspect, so to speak. I always felt like that gave you a major advantage, especially in the WCHA here. I think that's going to be key is can those defensive players that took an offensive step last season, continue that trend, bring the rest of the defensive core with them, but also manage the game because there's going to be times where they're going to be under duress, where they're going to have to handle your Minnesotas, your Wisconsin's, your Duluth, your Ohio state, who's going to be an absolute wagon this season. Yeah. Uh, so to speak, I, again, like I said, we're not giving anything away, but uh, put two and two together. If you're following the preview train here, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, to be honest, I, so as far as St. Cloud who has them four times, two home and homes on the schedule, what does St. Cloud need to do to limit, that defensive catalyst action that they bring to the table. What does Brian Idolsky need to do to shut down one of the other better coaching staffs in the WCHA? So continue what they did successful last season, right? Which is protect the house in the defensive zone. Um, and also quick and shall we say organized breakouts, right? Uh, one of the things that good defensemen can do, right? I think you touched on this in terms of game management. Sometimes that game management is a simple decision, whether to make a pass make a pass off the glass or to skate the puck out, right? Sometimes it's just making that decision to look at what's in front of you, knowing that, okay, we've been in our zone for 30 to 45 seconds. We're tired. It's the second period. It's a long change period. What's the best option here? And sometimes it is less doing less, right? And at the end of the day um, for St. Cloud, for St. Thomas, uh, you know, they don't have a lot of that firepower up front. So if you can, again, keep everything to the perimeter like they did last year, um, and then more so, can you expand on the offensive puck possession time, right? Again, with teams that are defensively first, the one area you can take advantage of them in is offensive pos uh, possession time. And more so, it's not shots on net necessarily, but it takes a lot more energy to defend in your own zone at a consistent level, right? Eventually teams will wear down and it does not matter how good your goaltending tandem is at some point, the energy that you're going to be using up when you're trapped in your own zone for minutes on end is going to eventually take its toll. So for St. Cloud, that's how you control St. Thomas is you take what you're given. you be strong. Um, I would even say that if St. Thomas is coming in through the middle of the ice challenge at the blue line, right? Because they haven't shown the ability to go dump and chase. So you can create quick transition that way and then go up and then get right back in the offensive zone and maybe not even allow them to make a line change. Right? So that's how you do it. Uh, if you're St. Cloud, is that you just take advantage of, uh, shall we say, the the infancy of the program, to put it nicely, and yep. uh, to use your very good defensive structure, um, and especially that PK, right? We know St. Cloud's PK was very, very good last year. Continue to do that because at, at the end of it, uh, that's going to just continue any sort of life I think that they could have if they got a call their way uh, will quickly be, uh, shall we say, squashed uh, when you can't even get a puck through uh, blocking shots. 
Yeah, and I think you alluded to it, gritty offensive suppression, so to speak. Uh, being yeah. able to chip and chase yourself if you're St. Cloud, try to possess, try to create that four-check offensive cycle, and also getting in front of these netminders. You don't really know what you're going to get on a given night, so test all these netminders and see if you can pop a couple of uh, goals, it, not even on the primary shot. Might be redirects, might be rebounds, second opportunities. You've got to get to the gritty areas. Grease band goals, as Dave Shyak would say, on the St. Cloud men's side, of course. Mm-hmm. So I know you and I were both thinking at the exact same time. So um, but Maybe, it really, but it really is. It's green, the, the frying pan that's right below the whiteboard with the pucks yeah. in it, right? And that was something in their national championship run. Um, it's those little small things, right? Just little reminders like, hey, this is where, and I think there was how many, like 10 to 12 pucks in that frying yeah. pan. Um, and sometimes it's that little visual reminder, hey, this is where our success is coming from. This is where it's going to have to come from uh, during this time of the year. So anytime you get one, throw it in there and just say, hey, these are hard-earned. These are not skilled or flashy plays. You're not toe-dragging around defenders. It's going to those hard areas. And a lot of the times, it's those second and third opportunities of where these pucks are coming off of the sticks into the net. It's never usually that first shot. It's those rebounds, and it's the chaos you're uh, you're essentially creating in front of that opposing net minder uh, that is getting uh, that offensive chance to put it into an open net. Yeah, I- wishing of course St. Thomas the best in everything they do except against our St. Cloud Huskies like you mentioned those grease pan goals uh, either that was symbolic for grease pan goals or uh, the Huskies men's program needs to feed their players a lot better than what they've been feeding them Uh, but speaking of good food a lot of uh, sponsors bringing today's uh, show to fruition Bent Paddle 7th Avenue and Beaver Island we thank them and their affiliation with the Soda Pod the Huskies Warming House podcast brought to you by the Soda Pod stay wild and up to date with all things in the state of hockey as well as, of course, our longtime partner, CenterIceView.com and Huskies Illustrated. Great work, of course. Uh, the home for all things St. Cloud Hockey, including the latest news and photos of your favorite Huskies on the men's side, getting you ready for the season and the women's side. Uh, still, I believe, uh, does more active work in the women's side than a lot of people uh, when it comes to a lot of these programs, too. So trying to see some more WCHA action here. St. Thomas It's great to see them as an addition to the fold and continue to build the WCHA on the women's side. There's a lot of fantastic women's players. You mentioned, or we mentioned uh, the Olympic connection for the head coach for the Tommies as well. And Joel Johnson as well. Uh, a lot of Olympic players coming from the WCHA uh, in women's hockey, a lot of professional players going from the WCHA into the professional realm as well too. So, would love to see all the coverage brought by all of our partners and of course you the fans and the listeners get out see these hockey games when st thomas plays st cloud in either building whenever you get a chance uh and then of course when st thomas gets their new building which will be fantastic as well too so for nick maxson i'm noah grant and we will see you soon for our next men's hockey preview team number seven for episode 170 Timer coming, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perrix! So Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies alongside. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it! He scores! is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.